This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. Damien Raidler surprised family and friends recently when he announced his retirement from the role of CEO at the Albion Park Harness Racing Club. His departure came almost four decades in several roles as a harness racing administrator. When asked what prompted this decision, he simply said, I woke up one morning, realised I was 75 years old and thought I've done my bit. Harness racing administration is only one part of the Raidler story. After 12 years as a telecommunications technician with Telecom Australia, he joined Sydney radio station 2GB in 1978. He wore several hats over the next five years, calling thoroughbred and harness racing, handling race day studio coordination and later being appointed sporting editor. He made a bold move in 1983 when he moved his family to Queensland to become Assistant Secretary Manager at Albion Park, at the time the famous sand track at Breakfast Creek was redeveloped into a state-of-the-art 1,000-metre trotting track. Apart from one short stint in Sydney, in 2003, Damien spent the rest of his working life in Queensland admirably serving a sport he loves dearly. He and I go back a long way to the days when 2GB was the key station of a vast national racing network. Damien had 12 years under his belt with telecom and great job security, but the offer of a full-time job in racing media proved irresistible. Damien Raidler, I can recall the morning in 1978 when I rang you on 2GB's behalf to offer you that job. Certainly, John. And uh, I think you said you can have a couple of days, have a talk to Barbara. Yeah. Uh, and I went and spoke to Barbara and was back with a positive answer within five minutes. <laughs> I'll never forget it. The phone yeah. rang again. I thought, who's this? <laughs> <laughs> another another piss. And you uttered the immortal words, I'll take it. No, uh, Ray Warren had moved on to television with the Rugby League and uh, the opportunity mm. come along and you offered it to me and I gratefully accepted. You'd been working casually for 2GB for quite a while, calling the Newcastle and Kembla Saturday meetings with Telecom's blessing, of course. Of course. Yes, uh, had a, a great association uh, with uh, Kembla Grange and Newcastle and their respective uh, chairman, Keith Nolan, mm. and Roy Marnie, the hotelier. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, uh, when you go first up to Newcastle and you get uh, faced with uh, a couple of maidens 
over 900 metres with about 18 or 20 in them, <laughs> and they come from all directions. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's not the same, same set every week. Mm. Uh, you learn your trade pretty quickly. Sure do. It uh, gets rid of the cobwebs, doesn't it? Certainly does, but fortunate, uh, Broad Meadow, with the long straights and that, uh, it wasn't as uh, horrendous as uh, it would be at a smaller track. No, wonderful race course, and I heard only this weekend that racing New South Wales bequeathed the Newcastle Club something like $12 million to spend on the drainage of that track, uh, and they now claim, and rightly so, there is no better wet weather track in the world than Broadmeadow at Newcastle. Well, you'd probably get a, a few uh, Queenslanders uh, disagree with that, <laughs> uh, but I, I did read the other day uh, that uh, Newcastle got uh, a glowing report alongside uh, the new surface at Eagle Farm. Mm, is that right? Yes, so uh, but Mick Goody, uh, who's done all the work at Eagle Farm, uh, he's getting glowing reports about the surface at Eagle Farm, which is good because uh, without Eagle Farm, uh, the whole racing concept here, uh, you know, falls short of, uh, of uh, you know, the, the uh, requirement. Mm. Dame, let's go back to 1966 when you started with Telecom at a time when automatic telephone exchanges were being installed everywhere, and that was to become your area of expertise. It certainly was, John. I, I did a five-year apprenticeship and worked my way through, worked in the construction branch, uh, and the uh, sort of section that I worked in built transportable exchanges into bountiful buildings and we'd build them at uh, Billwood mm. or private companies like STC, Plessy and Ericsson would build them for us, mm. put them on a low loader and send them up to some little village mm. in New South Wales. You were paid a great compliment by 2GB one year after being appointed when you were made sporting editor. And that must have been a very humbling experience for you because that role had been filled previously by the iconic Cliff Carey and later by his son, Garth. It certainly was an honour, John. And, of course, uh, uh, TGB also uh, covered the rugby league. And uh, in my time there, we had Peter Peters and Greg Hartley Mm. as the... uh, uh, main main commentators, and then we had a man at every other game. And in those days, uh, Sunday rugby league uh, was uh, there were a number of uh, meetings or matches on on the Sundays. Mm. So it was great to uh, to be in charge of that, uh, coordinate the studio, mm. uh, and work with uh, with Zorba and and Hollywood. You filled in for me during those years whenever I was on holiday or indisposed and there's one sick day I've never forgotten. It was 1978. I'd been to the Lismore Cup on the Thursday. I got a bad oyster at a luncheon which didn't affect me for about 36 hours and then in the early hours of Saturday morning, I was crook. (laughs) 
It was full-blown food poisoning. It was also Silver Slipper Day and we had to send you an SOS. Do you remember the occasion? I do, and I was very pleased that it was a, a late call-up that I didn't have to worry all night about uh, <laughs> learning colours. Yeah, and it was yeah. Silver Slipper Day. Mersing won that Silver Slipper. I can recall listening to you on 2GB from my sickbed. Yes, uh, Mersing. Uh, from memory, I think uh, Tony Marnie wrote Mersing. I think he did, yep. Yeah, so, uh, and I think Mersing uh, had the same colours as that good mayor, Sealy's image, the those uh, lime green and black diagonal stripes. Mm. Unfortunately, so, uh, he wasn't quite as good as Sealy's image. No, <laughs> but on the on the day, yeah, uh, got the money. Two GB dropped a bombshell in nineteen eighty one when it suddenly changed format to rock music and dumped the racing service. Now it was a traumatic time for all. You were on the verge of going back to telecom when Two KY invited you to join their team as a studio coordinator. You were saved by the bell. Certainly was, and by our good friend Ian Craig. Mm. He was instrumental in that. And a bloke called one of the management of 2KY, Jim Tregoning. Yep. Uh, so I went there for two years, enjoyed it, had good relationships with my workmates, uh, Les Bede, one of the all-time great coordinators. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Framini, uh, Chris Kearns. Yeah. So I lasted two years, but then my good friend, Marshall Dobson, who was up here in Queensland uh, working for the board, uh, indicated to me that there was a job being advertised at Albion Park that may suit me. So I made application for it, and uh, after a long uh, process, uh, I got the job. And what was your role then? You were assistant, I think, to the secretary manager. Yeah, assistant, sort of specialising in the marketing of it. Mm. Uh, and uh, my chairman was the uh, former Australian cricketer, Peter Burge, who I've become good friends with over the next couple of decades. Peter, a great man. Uh, he had an eminent uh, reputation on the cricket field. And didn't he love a punt? He certainly did. <laughs> he certainly did. Uh, I can remember the nights at Albion Park after the last. It was in the early days of Kennington Dogs starting on a Saturday night. <laughs> and PJ Burge and uh, uh, my uh, oh, latest uh, chairman, David Fowler, who worked in the media in those days, Mm. would park themselves in the committee room and bet on the Kennington Dogs for a couple of hours after the last of Albion Park. Mm. With not uh, a soul left in the committee room. Just no, the... not, a, not a soul left, uh, a tote lady <laughs> yeah. and uh, these two uh, scoundrels uh, trying to get acquitted Kennington Dogs. <laughs> Des- anyway, desperate. they both become good friends of mine over a long period of time and... Uh, uh, you know, I, I value the friendships I've made, you know, on the way through. The redevelopment of the creek as Brisbane's major trotting venue was a project of passion for the late Russ Hins, 
who at the time was the Minister for Racing in the Queensland Government, not the only portfolio he ever held, but I think it's the one he enjoyed most. Now, he died before he could answer charges levelled at him by the Fitzgerald Inquiry in 1988. He did some great things for thoroughbred and harness racing in Queensland, and you worked closely with the late Russ Hins on that Albion Park redevelopment. Yes, uh, Johnny was one of my greatest supporters, and uh, as a man, uh, I think I told you the other day, if you had an issue, you went to see him, and if there were two parties, Mm. he'd go in, A and B, he'd hear both cases, and he'd say, right, A's one, uh, go and do it, Fred, and Damien, you've lost out, but support Fred, so, Mm. but he was a doer, he didn't sort of muck around, he'd hear the case and make a decision. And it was for the betterment, as you say, of thoroughbred and harness racing in Queensland. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen the like of him uh, in the next 30-odd years. You know, the pomp and pageantry of the opening night at the redeveloped Albion Park venue is still talked about by those who were there on the night. And old Russ himself was a very proud man, wasn't he? He certainly was. He certainly was. He, it, uh, uh, and John, John McMullen Sr. Mm. Uh, uh, always said, he said, Russ Hens built this track for me. Mm. And Molly, Molly was also a great supporter and lived adjacent and trained a big team of horses adjacent to the track and, i become good friends with him as well so over a long period of time and and his, uh, and his family. Mm. High-profile owner, breeder, administrator and harness racing benefactor, Kevin Seymour was one of your early mentors. No man alive has given Queensland harness racing more support than Kevin Seymour. His generosity has also been extended to the sport in other states You've worked very closely with him for a long time now. Yes. Uh, I think early days I went to see Kevin. He invited me to come to his office. And uh, in those days he owned a uh, car parking business called Pegasus Parking. Mm-hmm. In, uh, and his office was in Wharf Street uh, near, nearby to uh, 4BC Studios. So I've known Kevin for the entire journey been a good friend, he's been a great supporter, he's been my chairman on several occasions and uh, as you say, uh, without Kevin Seymour, uh, harness racing in Queensland wouldn't be in the position it is today. You wouldn't want to be trying to say Pegasus parking with too many Chardonnays <laughs> on board, would you? <laughs> he, he later, he later changed it to secure parking. (laughs) (laughs) I can see why. (laughs) And, of course, uh, you know, he's been the uh, proprietor uh, in partnership with uh, Mark Lichwark in early days of Egmont Park Start. So he's Mm. been a prolific uh, supporter of the breeding industry as well Mm. and has imported, you know, a a number of stallions and been very successful with Mm. horses like Fake left. Yeah. Uh, I was just about to lead you into fake left, one of the most influential standard bred stallions of all time in this country. 
mm. uh, a little brown jug winner himself, but uh, as a prepotent force in the breeding barn, he's, uh, his legacy will live on forever. I can remember being at Albion Park one night for Sky Racing at the year Yule Star won the Inter-Dominion, mm. and the first yeah. race of the night was a two-year-old event, uh, ten runners, I think nine of them were by fake left. Mm. I've, I've never seen it before or since. No, prolific, sire, and very, very successful. Kevin Seymour was the prime mover in getting the Australia pacing goal concept up and running. And put simply, he wanted a trotting equivalent to the Magic Millions. He certainly did, and I knew all about that. In 1988, uh, he started kicking me up the butt. So he was the architect and I was chief draftsman mm. of Australian Pacing Gold and we did, uh, I put my hand up, uh, we did uh, plagiarise some of uh, Carl War's good work and his conditions uh, for the Magic Millions to replicate uh, the equivalent in harness racing, uh, which over the years has gone from success to success. Damien, another man with whom you had a great working association was Bill Lenahan, who retired in Queensland after a distinguished career in television. In fact, at one time, he was the general manager of Network 10. How did Bill Lenahan become involved with the harness sport? Uh, he was appointed uh, by the state government as the chairman of Harness Racing Queensland. Mm. Uh, an ideal selection because of his vast knowledge, uh, not only of harness racing, but also thoroughbred racing. Uh, his late father uh, was Bill Lenahan, mm. the big commission agent of yesteryear when uh, bookmakers were bookmakers, mm. and uh, Bill Senior handled all the commissions. I think uh, his nickname was the Milkman. So if the Milkman come running at you, you knew you were in for a, a yeah. decent bet. So, uh, but uh, Bill Lenahan Senior, they had a lot of good gallopers, and I think the yeah. best would have been Confidence, that you may remember. Colin O'Neill used to ride it, mm. and I think it had a couple of campaigns in Sydney and Melbourne, and was quite quite competitive. So, mm. uh, but Bill lives up uh, Sunshine Coast. Uh, I'm still firm friends with him. In fact, he lives next door to my middle son. A Scott, so uh, he can keep an eye on Scott and his family for me. <laughs> That's great. Now, Dame, just sit back there and relax for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. It's good times all round at harness racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. My special guest on the podcast is Damien Radler, recently retired CEO of the Albion Park Harness Racing Club in Brisbane. You took over the role of secretary manager at Albion Park in 1984, destined to remain in the chair 
right through until 2003, which was a record. Now, you did a lot in that time, mate. What are your special memories? Well, I suppose what you touched on earlier, the, the opening of a five-eighth of a mile track uh, in Australia uh, with a state-of-the-art grandstand, a 750-seat uh, restaurant called Silks, and mm. people still still uh, hark back on you know the success of Silks and how good it was. Mm. So I suppose the 15th of October, 1983, uh, was a milestone for harness racing and I was lucky enough to be part of it. The next couple of things that I'd like to sort of uh, uh, say a few words about are the three Dominions that I was uh, in charge of at uh, Albion Park, mm. uh, 1986 Village Kid winning all, all, all his seats and the final mm. uh, under the uh, uh, mentoring of uh, the butcher from Perth, uh, Billy Horn, and uh, with Chris Lewis in the bike. Um, 93, we had Jack Morris and Sean Harney, another mm. West Australian. Yeah. Rod Chambers was uh, in the steering department. And, of course, uh, 2001, uh, Yule Star uh, from New Zealand, uh, driven by Tony Shaw. Mm. And Tony Shaw, a lot of people wouldn't know, was a gardener with the Auckland Council and uh, the uh, driving part of it was uh, more of a hobby. Goodness me. No, so, I didn't know that. Uh, he drove that horse with great patience on the night in the grand final, came with a late swoop, at it mm. again, looked to have it parceled up on the turn, you'll recall. Yeah, Dennis Wilson, yeah. Mm. So. And I suppose, uh, as, as you mentioned before, being part of the, the birth of Australian pacing gold, uh, which, uh, you know, is, is the main uh, sales race uh, set up for harness racing, has been very successful. Also, like to pay uh, a compliment to Peter Volandes and John Dumasey, who also in later years had a big influence on the success of APG. Mm. And I'm still good mates with, with, with both uh, John and Peter. After 19 years in that role at Albion Park, you were probably in need of a change when Harness Racing New South Wales approached you about becoming CEO of their commercial arm at that time uh, when a strategic plan was being devised for the sport in New South Wales. You accepted. You worked with a man called Brian Paddock, who was a government appointee, and it wasn't one of your happiest decisions. No, uh, didn't work out that well, John, but uh, I stuck it out till the strategic plan was in place, uh, stuck with it for about 18 months, uh, but then decided uh, that I'd uh, come home. Uh, so I had to do something. So I got myself a TAB uh, for about eight months mm. at Everton Park, which was a good uh, good for your CV if you you know you've had experience in the retail side of of the business. Uh, uh, and then that was when Bill Lenahan gave me a ring one day, and he said, uh, "You don't know me, but you know my father." 
and uh, he said, I'd like to have a cup of coffee with you. So uh, from that cup of coffee, we've become firm friends and have remained uh, so right up till today. And you left the TAB agency at Everton Park. And, you know, looking back on, what was it, a year? Was yeah, about a year. About yeah. a year. Knowing your personable nature and <laughs> your liking for a social chat, I can imagine you were being on first-name terms with all of your customers. I certainly was. And, in fact, uh, one of my regular customers later become uh, one of my employees on the maintenance staff at Albion Park and uh, he didn't know that I I was the, the boss there when he applied for the job. So, uh, but he got it's a shock. ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> anyway, he, he's still there and he's still doing a good job. Then you showed your versatility. February 2005, the Queensland Harness Racing Board sought your expertise as product development manager. And in the three and a half years you were there, two chief executives flew the coop and on mm-hmm. both occasions you filled in for them. Uh, yeah, I've deputised for fewer over the, the last uh, 37 years. Yeah. People have, people have uh, you know, come and gone, got better offers, mm. didn't make the grade. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, I've, uh, I've been a good number two. <laughs> you have. September 2008 brought another change of direction. Harness Racing Queensland became a corporate entity and appointed you as manager of racing operations, responsible for everything from programming to plant and equipment to watering the office pot plants. <laughs> you you name it, you did it. Yeah. Well, it's that operational side of the job that uh, I've really relished and uh, uh, been successful and had a good group of people around me working for me. So, uh, uh, you know, you can't sort of do it by yourself. You've got to have a good team and over... Over the 40 years, uh, the team has, uh, you know, changed uh, dramatically, but uh, I've always had good staff. During this time, you were asked to supervise the purchase of a brilliant American horse called Mr Feelgood as a racing proposition in Australia and a stud proposition in Australia. Now, in America, he'd won several top races, including the famous Little Brown Jug, uh, you may have thought uh, it would be an easy negotiation, but it wasn't that. No, it certainly wasn't. I, uh, When we were chatting the other day, I did mention that I met with Myron Bell from Brittany Farm, who was the major or represented the major shareholder in Mr Feelgood, and uh, I went to America. Kevin Seymour uh, and the club sent me to America primarily to... Uh, uh, to find some horses, try and uh, coax some horses to come down under for the Inter-Dominion. Mm. And, uh, of course, uh, Kevin gave me his uh, list. He said, I've got a client who uh, wants to buy a good horse, which meant it was him, mm. but he didn't want his wife, Kay, to know oh. that he was putting his toe in the water. Mm. So, uh, anyway, we, we, we came home sort of... Uh, not that happy that uh, that we didn't uh, hit pay dirt with Myron, but you know 
things were still open for negotiation. And uh, another good mate of mine, Anthony Butt, mm. had been in America when um, when I was there with, uh, with Stuart Hunter uh, looking at various horses. And uh, uh, when we came back, I rang him. I said, how did, how did you go? And he said, well, he said, uh, I've got a horse under offer. And uh, I said, hey, which horse? And he said, uh, Mr. Feelgood. Oh. And uh, he said, uh, would, would Kevin take a half share in him? And uh, I said, most uh, certainly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll get Kevin to talk to you straight away or to Tim. Uh, and uh, so that's how it happened. Uh, we were there pitching up to, to get Mr. Feelgood and uh, uh, as things turned out, uh, Anthony, uh, but uh, uh, encouraged uh, Myron to uh, come to the party. Mm. And uh, Anthony, at that, when I was speaking to him, he said, I've got, got some New Zealand blokes half interested in, in buying a half share in the horse. Mm. And I said, put Kevin down for the other half. Good. So... A couple of days later, Anthony comes back to me and he said, you know, those New Zealand blokes, they've dropped out. Uh. You know, do you know anyone else? And I said, well, I do. So I had a bloke called Adam Fairley working for me Mm. who had a a friend called Peter O'Shea. So I said to Adam, I said, that $100,000 that uh, Peter wanted to be a share with Kevin, uh, there's an opportunity for him to buy a share in uh, Mr. Feelgood. So a couple of days later, after Adam had spoken with Peter O'Shea, uh, Peter came back and said he'd buy the other half share, and that's how the partnership of Kevin and Peter occurred with Mr Feelgood, who went on to uh, win the Inter-Dominion uh, at the Gold Coast. Yes. Uh, but uh, it was conducted by the principal club, Albion Park. Mm. Uh, so I did have a big hand in the conduct of that inter-dominion as well. Mm. He also won a Hunter Cup and he has also become a fairly respected sire. Well, without going into detail of money, uh, he won the Shepparton Cup, the Hunter Cup Mm. and the inter-dominion and I think collectively the prize money to the winner for those three races was $800,000, which was just short of, of the purchase price. So they uh, got the lion's share of their uh, outlay back in uh, three wins. July 2010 and Racing Queensland took over the control of all three codes. You got the Guernsey as the manager of the harness racing arm. To use an age-old term, right up your alley. <laughs> Uh, it certainly was, but uh, it uh, it wasn't a pleasant uh, amalgamation of the three codes, and even today uh, there's there's pushes for the three codes to be separated. Uh, it, uh, from my perspective, personal perspective, now now that I'm not in the uh, in the swim, uh, I'd have to say that it doesn't, it hasn't worked, and I think. Uh, all three codes would be much happier if they were masters of their own financial destiny. Well put. 
In February 2014, you called time on your career in harness racing administration and retired for the first time. But not surprisingly, (laughs) you were walking the box within three months. And then in March of 2016, you needed no coaxing whatever to accept a part-time role as racing operations manager for the Albion Park Club and the old spark was reignited. Certainly was, and that uh, I was encouraged by by uh, the then chairman David Fowler, and of course uh, my long-time supporter in Kevin Seymour to make a return. And uh, very happily, uh, you did that, and it wasn't long before you regained your former Guernsey CEO. <laughs> by de- by default, <laughs> and I was you- in the right right place at the right time. And there you stayed until the curtain came down only weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. A bit sad, but, uh, you know, as I said to you in our earlier discussion, uh, when you reach your use-by date, you've got to, got to put your hand up, haven't you? I think you're being a bit severe on yourself, Dame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, fortunately, I'm in good health. Uh, uh Barbara hasn't been that well, and uh, we've got uh, three uh, three sons who all love their father and their mother. Yep, and uh, and a stack of grandchildren. Six granddaughters. Yes, no <laughs> raidlers to carry <laughs> on the name. Six granddaughters. I think the boys have two each. Yeah, two each. Two by two by two, and uh, mm. two of them are currently in Bali on two weeks' holiday with their families, so uh, they're doing it tough. <laughs> you mentioned a name there a moment ago, David Fowler, who uh, one of Australia's very best and most popular race callers. He is currently the resident Brisbane Gallops caller, but he has never lost his love of harness racing. He is now the chairman of the Albion Park Harness Racing Club. He can't get the trots out of his system. No, and uh, as you say, uh, a great caller, and uh, he can call equally as well any of the three codes. You know, he can just duck behind the binoculars and, and call a, a dog meeting. And, yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's A1, also a, a great presenter, great speaker, uh and uh, I think uh, has been chairman of Albion Park for at least five years. So, mm. um, so uh, you know, he's done a, a good job under, you know, uh, circumstances sometimes that uh, we're all feeling the pinch financially and we all want uh, uh, more money for prize money and the like. But, uh, you know, he's been in there punching with the government uh, all the time and uh, handles the uh, position very well. Now, Damien, we've got about two minutes left on our podcast, so some rapid-fire questions. Your all-time favourite harness trainer? Well, I'd say the bloke that produced the horse looking the best was the late Merv Adams. Mm-hmm who I had a good association with through Ted Cooper, who you'd remember, Mm. uh, from Trot Guide and Clocking Horses, and he was a uh, a reasonable punter, Teddy, and used to handle the commission for the the Adams uh, stable. Mm. 
Um, I suppose uh, uh, I suppose my favourite driver was a bloke called Laurie Moles. Yeah. Uh, who lots of people, I, I said some, something about Laurie Moles to some young person and they, they, didn't, they didn't know who he was, but uh, yeah. he was he was a he was a great uh, great horseman. Uh, At his best on a front runner, Damien. Had, oh, an, an seen, can seen, he judge of pace? Wasn't he? Seen to advantage, and uh, his apprentice uh, in Sydney, Eldon Papworth, uh, mm. subsequently came to Brisbane and was a trainer driver here for a long time. Mm. Uh, uh, I suppose Milesy. Merv Adams, uh, Les Chant was also a great uh, conditioner of horses. Um, and, of course, he had Gold Race Girl, the good mare for Kevin. Yes. Seymour. He so, did. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I've had a great association with Brian Hancock, who I've been, you know, best mates with for, you know, 50 Forever. years. Yeah. Well, since the gay days of the Kiama show, he and his brother Richard, Mm. Driving at Kiama Show, so and I was, I was trying to break into the race calling business. Mm. So uh, and Brian, you know, he, he's got the score on the board as a conditioner of horses and a great driver. Uh, and uh, there won't be, I don't think anyone will beat his uh, inter dominion record. No, sensational! It'll be there forever. Now, one yeah. final question: Your all-time favourite harness horse? Oh. Uh, I would say Poppy, Popular Arm, uh, and of course uh, from Queensland, uh, Blacks are fake, and uh, and uh, I think uh, Be Good Johnny's record pales into insignificance as well mm. as a multiple Miracle Mile winner, uh, and I think uh, – be good, Johnny, and a couple of other horses were, were bought by John McCarthy for, uh, you know, uh, not a not a lot of money. So, mm. as things turned out, be good, Johnny. He he was a very good buy, and a great horse. I think the amount of money may have been five thousand dollars, and he yeah, went on. Well, to, I, yeah, I didn't like to say how much, but I I was thinking four. So from my Mm. Recollection, so we're pretty close to the money. Yeah, he went on to win two Miracle Miles and pretty well every major pacing race in Queensland. Mm. Well, Dame, thanks, thanks for all the help you gave me in those early years at 2GB. Thank you for your continued friendship. And on behalf of your legion of friends in harness racing, thanks for a super job. Well done. Thank you, John. Greatly appreciated. And your support and uh, friendship over 40-odd years uh, has stood me in good stead to get me uh, to to this stage. Thanks, Dame. Great to talk. Thanks for joining the podcast. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales.